and the presence of his master before he was taken up into heaven. And so Elijah is just having a time to ask Elijah, what is it that you want? What is it that I can do for you? And Elijah asked him for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. This one of you is confusing to ask, and that will say that the you say today. Uh, I don't think that Elijah was asking if he could be twice as powerful as Elijah. I don't think he's asking for just double the amount of spirit that Elijah, Elijah had. But this double portion of it is the language of inheritance. And ultimately, the firstborn was sort of a natural successor to his father. And because of that, he received a double portion of the inheritance. So let's say that a man had three sons. He would divide his uh, inheritance into four different portions, with the oldest son getting two portions, the double portion, and then the other two sons getting one portion each. So Elisha is asking to be Elijah's successor. He's asking for that. But he's also asking for a spirit. He's asking for God to empower him to be the successor. And Elijah knows this isn't actually something that he can do. So it's only something that God can do. This is why he tells Elijah. It's a difficult thing that he asks for. But he knows that, that God will, he will know that God is going to be successful if Elijah can see Elijah taking up into heaven. And so next, Elijah uses his cloak, and uh, Elijah would cross the Jordan River and then dry ground. And so this is something else that happened us back to, to earlier in the biblical story. Uh, in Joshua 5, uh, God reminds the Israelites that he is with Joshua, just as he is with, as he is with Moses, by allowing Joshua to actually part the Jordan River to the Israelites from Joshua. In the same way that Moses, you remember, part of the Red Sea uh, on dry ground. So God is saying, just like I empowered Joshua to carry on the course of Moses' leadership to take possession of the promised land, so do I empower Elijah to feed Elijah in the prophetic path. So for both Moses and Elijah, God needed to be with and empower their successors. For them to be able to carry on mission. You might be saying, well, that's all interesting, but what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with me? I'm not Joshua to anyone's Moses. I'm not Elijah to anyone's Elijah. But actually, I think according to the New Testament, we are. Maybe more specifically, we are, as a church, uh, an important successor. In the New Testament, Jesus calls his disciples, and those disciples who follow after them, which is another way of the church, to be his successor of his work on earth. So there's one event that I think signals this pretty strongly, and it's actually Jesus' transfiguration. So in Matthew 17, we'll read that, uh, the story of the transfiguration. says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as, as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and the voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. To him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So as I look at that text, the question that comes to my mind is, why Elijah, why Moses? Why, of all the Old Testament characters, why Elijah, why Moses at the Transfiguration? Why not David and Abraham or Adam and Jacob? Why Moses 
question Elijah. So the text doesn't, doesn't come right out and tell us the answer to that. And so there are commentators and scholars that have a lot of different ideas about why that is. Um, but as we look at this, even in the context of what we're talking about, we can't help but see these two Old Testament leaders we've been talking about who pass on their mantle to younger successors. And then we have Jesus there with the three most trusted disciples, kind of the inner circle of the disciples, and he is going to pass his mantle on to our And so I think it's because God is saying uh, that he empowered Joshua uh, as um, Moses passed on the mantle to Joshua. And he empowered Elisha to carry on the mantle from Elijah. And in the same way, he will empower the disciples to carry on Jesus' mantle when he has to leave. I think this idea is further developed in John chapter 14, where Jesus says something that we might skip over, but it's pretty unbelievable as he's talking to his disciples in the upper room. John 14, 12 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me also do the work I do, and greater work than these he will do, because I am going to, to the Father. So Jesus is telling his disciples that they and those that will come after him will do greater things than he does. That's pretty amazing. That's a pretty crazy thing that Jesus says that his disciples will do greater things. Jesus did great things. How is it that his disciples will do greater things? Than he does. And imagine you're reading through the book of John for the first time. Maybe you don't have uh, as much uh, familiarity with the rest of the story, the rest of the book of the story. If you're just kind of reading the book of John, I think this would strike you as being a pretty amazing thing. And the reason is because if you're reading through the book of John, it really is thoughtful. You would see the disciples not as great readers or people that you would think, oh yeah, these are probably the people that Jesus is going to use to. To kind of build up this church, this great institution that we have for a few thousand years later. But the disciples just don't get it. Like they, are, they do not portray themselves well <laughs> in the Gospels as they're writing them, right? They are constantly disagreeing with one another. They're not understanding what Jesus is saying, and Jesus is having to correct them. Sometimes they want to inappropriately call down fire from heaven over those that aren't listening to them. There's all kinds of things that the disciples are doing wrong. But yet, these are the leaders, these are the people that, that Jesus passed on his leadership ministry to, and then passed on their leadership ministry to others, that started this institution that, for the reason we're sitting here today, 2,000 years later, in a land we had no idea existed, is because of the disciples' leadership. And how, how do we make sense of that? How do we make sense that, that this could happen, given who the disciples were? So I think the key there is at the end of that verse where Jesus says, this is going to happen. You're going to be able to do these greater things because I'm going to the Father. And then later on in the upper room discussion, the gospel message we read today, Jesus clarifies why it's important that he has to go to the Father. John 16 says, says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So he's telling his disciples, even though you've been with me 24-7 for the better part of two years, you've been able to ask me anything that you would want to know. You've seen how I live my life. You've heard all of my teachings multiple times. Even though you've been closer to me than any, anybody on earth that I've ever done, and it's better for them, it's to their advantage that he would go away. 
I think this is because an internal empowerment through the Holy Spirit is better than having an external teacher. Good illustration. I'm not a very good swimmer. Now, if I go in the water, I'm not going to drown or anything like that, but I'm certainly not going to win any sort of swimming races. But let's say Michael Fett, you know, the great Olympian, uh, the gold medal here, Michael Fett, was willing to be my personal swim coach for the next couple of years. And I think I'd probably improve quite a bit as a swimmer. He could probably correct my technique when I'm sure it would need correction. He could teach me how to train, he could motivate me, he could you know, teach me all the tricks of the trade, how to breathe, all of that kind of stuff. It, it would be good. But even if Michael Phelps was, was committed to being my personal center for the next few years, I don't think that Olympic glory is in my future. I think we're still pretty limited because I am who I am, my body is my body, like, I don't think that it would, it would make much of a difference. I'd probably be a better swimmer, but nowhere near that of Michael Phelps. But what if instead, somehow, the spirit of Michael Phelps could enjoy me? He could live through me. He could live kind of through my body. Now, my body might not be exactly, you know, Michael Phelps' body, but I think my chances of Olympic glory in that case would go up significantly. So we can try to follow Jesus' teachings in our own strength, but we're limited because of our, our fallen nature. But through the Holy Spirit, we can be empowered to do things. We can be empowered to live the Christian life in a way that we could never do and we see that Jesus lived out in the book of Acts. This is the story of the disciples. When Jesus is saying, come on, and he tells them, he's staying in Jerusalem and waits for the Holy Spirit to come. He wanted them to wait because he knew they couldn't be around alone, but they would need the help of the Holy Spirit to do what God was telling them to do. And as the Spirit comes to Pentecost, the people start to come to faith in growth. The disciples start performing miracles where they used to be sad, they're bold. Where they used to send back, they move forward. And they grow this church that again is an institution that still exists here 2,000 years later. We're sitting here. The same disciples who are pretty much actually bumbling idiots in the gospel. I can say that because they wrote them. I'm not putting words in their mouth. Elijah, they're, they're this church in the same Holy Spirit that empowered them can empower us today. Elijah left behind his cloak as a sign of God's empowerment, but Elijah picks up that cloak. And he's able to talk to Jesus and Jesus just as Elijah did. The Holy Spirit who Jesus left behind as God's empowering presence for his church to succeed him and do greater things is with us still today. In the sermon series, we've been seeing how human limitations can become a blessing in the hands of a limitless God. And I have to admit that right now, at this moment, as I look into the fall, this is a time in my life where I feel especially limited. The fall in campus ministry is an incredibly important time. I'm not sure how to describe it to you, except to say it's probably similar to how an accountant feels about uh, March and April. Campus ministry is the busiest time of year, and the reason is it's the thing to most open to new students. So it's when we're, when we're able to meet the most new students, we're able to meet kind of the incoming freshmen class, we're able to help get them involved and they're most open to that. And even for the purposes of evangelism, it's when students are kind of most open to new ideas. It's the beginning of the year, especially for freshmen as they come on campus. And so the great majority of our evangelism and our reaching out to students happens in the fall. It's the time that every campus ministry gears up for and gets excited about and prays about and a lot of those kinds of things. But at this moment in campus ministry, we face challenges that in my 17 years we have never faced before. The fall in campus ministry is obviously going to be much different. Um, 
So what, what are we going to do when the student organization fails or we meet lots of different students? Things aren't happening in other children. When our staff aren't allowed into the key areas of campus, like dorms are a great area to do ministry of Bible studies and dorms and staff are great by the next students. And for the most part, our staff aren't going to be allowed in dorms this fall. Campuses, uh, I mean, you know, a lot of campuses meet in person. And so it was one thing in the spring when, we, when everybody went online and said, to take the students that we already had involved and, and get them to get, come to online meetings. But it's another thing entirely to try to get a student you've never met before to come be a part of online meetings. And in some cases, like, we'll see what happens, but it seems like students may not even be on campus at all. And oftentimes in our ministry, we have large conferences and retreats. So God has worked really powerfully to help students really sort of live out His word system in their lives and help motivate them to, to work for Him by sharing their faith with friends, by taking their leadership roles in the ministry. We really seem to have used these large events like retreats and conferences uh, to do incredible things in the lives of students. But in the next six months or so, we don't see any way these large events are going to be able to happen. And so I've seen different groups have gotten together, different campus ministry think tanks have gotten together and they've kind of come up with different ideas about how to hopefully do ministry differently, but yield the same results uh, coming this fall. And I've eagerly looked at the results of these think tanks, looking for the silver bullet that will help us. And I have seen no silver bullet. I am not sure what we're going to do. And sometimes we all think about what it's going to be like to walk into this fall and what it's going to be like to lead our team as fashion events. I just think to myself, how did this pass it in further than 2021? That sounds better right now. But I, I know that every person, every person in the organization is facing challenges and questions like this and who you are in your life and many number of areas of your life. But I don't think God is telling us to give up His work in the next several months just to wait for things to go back to normal. You just didn't turn back in the face of challenges. And if you're going to embrace our role as Jesus' successors, then I don't think we can turn back in the face of challenges either. And faith, we can believe that these COVID-related limits can be a blessing because we still end up with God. So what does it look like for us to move forward in faith, knowing that we're Jesus' successors on earth, even specifically in this time, in this unprecedented time in our history? What are the two specifics that we have to it's time to pick up a lot of faith. It's time to find power from God, especially now, to rely on the power of His Spirit. The man who started campus because of our staff in 1961 at UCLA is a man named Bill Bright. And Bill Bright was known for his passion for evangelism. He uh, wrote the the gospel text and we had a first church at last, and we may have seen. Uh, and he lived out of conviction. But anybody that God had put in his life for more than more than five minutes was somebody that God was calling him to try to share the gospel with. Now my friend Jeff, he was a Bill Wright personal assistant for a while, and he can attest to that sometimes the Bill Wright was tired if they were in a crowd out or something. But sometimes Bill Wright felt like it was God's time for Jeff to share the gospel with that person rather than Bill. But nonetheless, Bill Wright had a passion for evangelism. And in Chapter 233 is known for sharing that passion. That's what, that's what we're known for. And so one time somebody asked Bill Bright, is there anything that you would rather do on this earth than share the gospel with an unbeliever? And so of course you would think that Bill Bright would say, oh, that's my absolute favorite thing to do. But surprisingly, it's much more accurate Bill Bright said. You know, there's actually one thing I would rather do than share the gospel with an 
declaration, speaking of believer, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can see that, right? If believers relied on the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, the gospel truth would be celebrated and just being able to share the gospel with just that, with just that one person. Living in the power of the Holy Spirit is the only way to successfully live the Christian life. So whatever role God has called you to, whatever He has gifted you in, whatever He's given you a passion for, pray, ask the Holy Spirit to empower you during this time to do that, to continue to do that. Don't rely on your own strength to do it. Don't fully rely on your intellect to figure out how to make that work and write a COVID. Depend on the Lord's Holy and believe in faith that He wants to bless you by using you in this season. And let's not just think about this as an individual level, but let's think about this as a church level, as a church level of St. Michael Lutheran Church and just as a larger universal church. What has God called the church to do? Who has God called the church to be during this time? In this world, in this community. COVID does not give us a pass to pursue that. We have to continue to pursue that to the status of that. We, of course, want to pursue it while, while we obey the governmental leaders and, and people that that, that that is put in place that are trying to protect us during this time. We have to do it with life for our neighbor at the forefront of our mind. But, but COVID does not give us a pass to, to move forward as God has called us to do. And if, if you think about doing it in our own terms, we'll be overwhelmed and we want to pass it on for the year. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us, direct us, and empower us. We need to ask the Lord for opportunities of the church that we would never think were possible, to do things that wouldn't have happened if not for children. Second, let's walk in intimacy with our master. Elisha wanted every last moment he could get with Elisha. He wasn't going to leave his God until he was taken up. It was his last chance to be with him. Now, lucky for us, our master, Jesus, while he has been taken up into heaven, just like Elijah was, he is the spirit of hope present with us. We can still commune with him. We still have a relationship with him. We can still walk in intimacy with him. I think intimacy comes before empowerment. When Jesus gave the great commission to the church, the great task that he gave the church, he said, surely I will be with you always. He didn't mean for us to be alone. He doesn't mean for us to do anything alone. In the last several months, as COVID has struck, has your intimacy with God increased or has it decreased? Have you slowed down to listen to Him as Pastor Tim teached you a couple weeks ago? Or has the stress and out of anxiety in your life pushed you further away from God during this time? My prayer has been, my prayer for all of us, is that as we travel on with COVID last, we will look back on that and say, yes, that was a difficult season of life this year, but I can see how God used it to draw me closer to Him and gain that intimacy with Him. Has that been true for you thus far? If it hasn't, well then, fortunately or unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's ending anytime soon, and there's still a chance for that to be true. So take the opportunity to slow down, turn off distractions, commune with Jesus. I can't think of a more impossible chance. It's an impossible task than succeeding Jesus. It's certainly more difficult than succeeding any high level of Fred Rogers. And we are far too limited, even when we combine all of us together as a church, to succeed him on our own. But God does not tell us to do things 
God is God is how the limitations and the blessings because of our limited God. Amen.